right, this is an interview with uh, Mrs. Gloria Mata Pennington uh, for the Recovering and Preserving the History of the uh, ESBMACC, standing for the Emma S. Barrientos Mexican American Cultural Center Oral History Interview Project. Hi, Mrs. Pennington. Good afternoon. Good to be with you. It's good to be with you, too. So, Let's start off simple, and can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Well, I think that um, it's very interesting. I think I arrived in Austin at a very, very interesting time. My husband and I came with our family to Austin in 1965. We came to open Austin's second television station, now Channel 36. My husband did sports there for many, many years and he was on the air for almost 30 years. So he was very well known. His name was Mel Pennington, and um, he was well known in this community, and this community became a community that we loved. I started out by being a stay-at-home mom. We had two small children at the time. I got involved in a lot of PTA work, a lot of work with schools, and those were the days that we were starting to talk about integrating the Austin schools. So I was even involved in some of that when my children were in junior high school. I belonged to a group um, put together by the PTA of Mothers for a Peaceful Integration. So had a lot of history in the community, but I didn't know much about the Hispanic community until I got involved as a volunteer with politics. And that started my knowledge of not only East Side politics, but East Side issues, as well as senior issues, which would be my life's work here in Austin when I went to work for the Austin Parks and Recreation Department. I began first um, in 1976 working for the Parks and Recreation Department, and that may have been my first memory of discussion, true discussion, about the need for a Mexican-American cultural center. We had, with the Austin Parks and Recreation Department, a man that was very beloved in the community. His name was Roy G. Guerrero. The Roy G. Guerrero Colorado River Park is now named after him, as well as the Carne Guerrero Senior Activity Center. Mr. G was the assistant director of the Parks Department, and he was my mentor. He put me to work, and boy, did he work me hard. But he worked every bit as hard as those that he worked alongside with. He probably was the first person to mention to me the community's desire for a Mexican-American cultural center and how long, how many years that desire had been going on. So as it developed that the community was putting pressure on the city of Austin and the Parks Department for a Mexican-American cultural center, I got to be involved from the inside out because I got to go along to a lot of community meetings. I remember meeting for the first time a young woman named Hortensia Palomares who was passionate about a Mexican-American cultural center. 
I remember meeting people from Lucha that wanted a Mexican-American cultural center. I remember talking not to only people in the community, but to artists themselves, saying there's a need to preserve our art and our cultural roots and history, and we need a Mexican-American cultural center. So I heard it more and more and more throughout the community. And then it became almost a necessity for me to learn more about the community and their work to try to accomplish this dream because I found out shortly that it was a dream that had been going on for a long, long time. In the Parks and Recreation Department, I worked for many departments, um, directors in the 23 years that I worked for the department. And they often would rely on Mr. Guerrero and myself, as lowly as I was on the totem pole, to go out into the community and get the feel of the community and feel and bring back to the department what the community's wishes were. At one point, when I was involved in the East Side politics, I was fortunate enough to witness firsthand the creation of what now is called the Brown Machine. That was in the 70s when Hispanics first started getting elected. I worked in the campaign of Richard Moya, who in 1970 became the first county commissioner, Hispanic county commissioner, indeed the first Hispanic elected to an office here in Travis County, followed shortly in 1972 by Gus Garcia, who was elected to the school board, followed by Gonzalo Barrientos, who in 74 was elected to the, be a state representative. And then the campaign that I was most involved in, the campaign with John Trevino for city council in 1975. Working with these men, I was able to learn more and more about the Hispanic community here in Austin, some of their histories. Those were the days of the big economic furniture uh, strike that really caught on and, and latched this community into a realization that we had to unite, we had to work for a common effort, and that it could be done. And the creation of the Brown Machine and the elected of these Hispanic men to office proved to the community this si, si se puede. So I think that the community started feeling more at ease about this time. And so by the time in 76 that I went to work for the Parks Department, I had a better grip on the and knowledge of the community. I believe it was in the late 70s and probably more likely the early 80s there was talk of actually building a Mexican-American cultural center. That first preliminary analysis was done to create a Mexican-American cultural center at Fiesta Gardens. Fiesta Gardens, it wouldn't have been a bad idea. Fiesta Gardens is a beautiful location. But there were a, a lot of concerns that maybe the amount of, um, of territory there was not sufficient for the size of a center that they wanted. 
They contracted with a wonderful architect named Ponciano Morales to do the preliminary design. But you know what? It gave people hope. There was some movement. There was movement in the direction of creating a center. And then guess what happened next? Years when it seemed like nothing was happening. Things when just kind of came to a standstill. So in the late 70s, there was a group called Samaka who came together for a Mexican-American cultural center. It was headed by Kathy Vasquez, and it, it uh, was a group that had Valerie Menard, Kathy Vasquez, Rowan Salinas, and many others that worked very hard to try to accomplish bringing the community together and pushing real hard for a Mexican-American cultural center. At one point, I remember that the Parks and Recreation Department decided that this group could be the group to manage a Mexican-American cultural center. So they were asked more and more to be involved in the planning of such a center. I remember going out and attending many of their meetings. I remember many, many evenings sitting around and talking with Kathy Vasquez about the dream. And that's what everyone considered it, just a dream of having a Mexican-American cultural center. The work continued, the push continued, not only outside in the community, but inside. People like Roy Guerrero, people like our elected officials, because by this time, we had elected officials who really cared about having a Mexican-American cultural center. So when the 80s rolled along, there was a resolution that was passed at city council. And that resolution was to have a feasibility study to see if the property on River Street, which is the location of the noun, Emma Barrientos Mexican-American Cultural Center, if that could be feasible to have a center there. And there was support for it on the city council. There was support for it in the community. And it looked in the 80s that finally we were on our way to having that dream come true. Then in 1992, the proposition was put for a building a Mexican-American cultural center was put on the bonds. There were lots of bonds that were on there worth millions of dollars. It was put to the vote of the citizenry of Austin and the bond failed. So it meant no Mexican-American cultural center, at least not then. Now, you would have thought that after all of that time, all of that effort, all of that hard work, that that would have been such a blow to the community that they would have given up, but they didn't. Instead, I think the community got stronger because of that defeat. They decided, we'll just have to start all over again 
be more careful of how we set up. So what they did, they learned good lessons. They learned, hey, maybe this cultural center is not gonna float as a standalone bond issue. Maybe we better couple it with something else that the community really wants and maybe our chances of passage would be better. Maybe we need support along the way. So, Kathy Vasquez was appointed to the Planning Commission, a big step, because the first thing when you were planning bond election things was to go to the Planning Commission and say, do you think this is a necessary thing? And having the support there meant a whole lot because there was someone pushing from within, someone there to make sure that the Mexican-American Cultural Center issue would have a better chance. By that time, Gus Garcia was also on the city council. So he started working as only he can. I'm a great fan of, of Mayor Garcia. I think that he has accomplished so much for this community. And his part in making sure that a cultural center became a reality has sometimes been overlooked as being minor, but it was tremendous. He pushed for ordinances, for resolutions, and he coalesced with elected officials from the county. He and Margaret Gomez, Commissioner Gomez, got together and pushed together to make sure that there was support throughout the Travis County and not only in the city of Austin for this center. So things started to fall in place and things started to look a lot better. The second try for the bonds in 1998, it passed. So now we knew for sure that we were going to have a cultural center. But then the city became concerned. Their concern was that that citizen group that was supposed to be preparing to manage the center might not have the knowledge necessary to do it. So there was a rethinking of how the center would be managed and the management of the Mexican-American Cultural Center was transitioned back to the Parks and Recreation Department, that it would be managed by them. But in order to give the citizenry some input, then the city council created a council appointed advisory board comprised of citizens from the city of Austin. So now we were underway. We had a center, the bond had passed, the center was going to be built. And finally, on September the 15th, 2007, the center opened. Now here is where I can tell you what happened on that wonderful, glorious day. I was asked by the Parks and Recreation Department if I could do some research on the history of the center. Very much like what we are doing now, 
talking to people and gathering from them the stories of their part or their knowledge of the creation of the work it took towards the creation of this center, getting what this community wanted, and then putting all of those pieces together. So I did some research. I even went back, had a lot of help from my, from my friends at the Austin History Center. We went through files and looked and looked and looked. I even researched past Parks and Recreation Advisory Board uh, minutes to see who the council appointed to work on the MAC and when, when they passed the resolutions pertaining to the MAC, and all of that went into the brief history that I put together. I overlooked the fact when uh, telling you about the completion of the bonds, about how fortunate we were, and another good thing that happened with the delay was that the center here, built on River Street, had such a much, much better location lots more land located next door to now Lady Bird Lake. What a wonderful, wonderful location. And the most beautiful part of it all was the architect selected to do this building. This building is so unique. There is nothing else in the city of Austin that looks like it. It was built by a Mexican uh, architect right here. I started researching that architect. His name is Teodoro Gonzalez de Leon. This is a book about his work, buildings that he has designed all over the world. Unfortunately, this wonderful little book was published before the creation of the Mac. So the Mac is not included in this, in this wonderful book. But it tells the story and the history of the architect, a man who was so talented and who did such beautiful work when he created the Mac for the city of Austin and the citizens of Austin. This is the program of the opening day at the Mexican American Cultural Center. It was decided to open the center on September the 15th so that we could celebrate the SECs. It was a wonderful decision a very, very smart decision because on that day, not only did we celebrate the opening of the MAC, we also celebrated the SECs. I told you that I was asked to look and to do some research on the history. And I put it all together for the program here and I called it Un Sueño Bonito, a beautiful dream. Because over and over again, that's what I felt, that the wish for the Mac for many years was just a dream.
I started the history of the black by saying we may not all agree on the date that the dream began, but one thing is certain. We all agree it is a beautiful dream that has come true. It talks about the early visionaries, the community leaders, the artists who approached the city of Austin to request support for the construction of the map. It talks about 1986 when the city council responded by appointing a task force to obtain community input and to provide guidance into the development of a plan. It mentions 1988 when the city contracted a major consulting team to conduct a formal and comprehensive site and project feasibility and that it resulted in the team's recommendation to support the establishment of a Mexican-American cultural center at 600 River Street. It talks about 1992 when the proposed Mexican-American cultural center was included in the city won bond election, but unfortunately was narrowly defeated. It talks about 95 when the consultant architectural team developed a phase one design for River Street. And then it talks about 97 when the task force membership incorporated under the name of the Center for Mexican-American Cultural Arts, Samaca. And it talks about 1998 when the Hispanic community prompted the Austin Parks and Recreation Department to include the Mexican-American Cultural Center in the 98 bond package. And this time, the community leaders were well prepared and led the way in promoting passage of the bond, and as a result, it won voter approval. It talks about 2000, when a long-term lease was signed for Samaka to manage the existing and future facilities at the MAC. It talks about January 2002 when the city authorized the professional services for the architects. And then it talks about the transition of management of the MAC to the City Parks and Recreation Department. But that to ensure ongoing community input, the Austin City Council created the Mexican American Cultural Center Advisory Board. The long-awaited groundbreaking ceremony took place in November of 2005, and construction of the Mexican-American Cultural Center began in 2006, and the facility was completed in June of 2007. Once again, the beautiful, beautiful facility. Not only did I have the privilege of doing the research for that synopsis of the history of the MAC, but I was asked to be the master of ceremonies for the opening of the MAC. It was a beautiful, beautiful day. Kind of warm, even though it was in September. A huge tent was set up on the east side of the center where hundreds of people were seated to hear the opening program for the Mexican-American Cultural Center. The opening ceremony included 
an invocation to the four directions where people in costume came and did a lovely dedication of this center to the four directions of the wind. And they talked a lot about, it was also a torch lighting ceremony. The presentation of the colors were done by an honor guard from the Austin Fire Department. The national anthem was played so beautifully by Mariachi. So, we had a friar, Francisco Munoz, from Our Lady of Guadalupe Church, and a, a priest from uh, Cristo Rey, who were also here. We had the greetings and acknowledgement on behalf of the Parks Department that I did. We had Mayor Will Wynn here, and we had all of our Mayor Pro Tem, Betterly Dunkerley, Council Member Lee Leffingwell, who is now our mayor, Council Member Mike Martinez, Council Member Jennifer Kim, Council Member Brewster McCracken, and Council Member Cheryl Cole. They were here to be a part of all of this. A part of the program was former Mayor Gus Garcia. We had the Honorable Congressman Lloyd Tockett. We had beautiful music, as I said before, by Mariachi. And we had remarks by the director of the Parks and Recreation Department, Warren Struess. And then the most touching part to me was hearing about una comunidad that had come together and was now united. It was talk given by Donato Rodriguez, who was the chair of the Mexican-American Cultural Center Advisory Board, and Martha P. Cortera, who is the vice chair. Then we also heard from Benito Huerta. Benito Huerta was the artist that designed the beautiful snake walkway. Now, snake walkway outside is part of the Austin Art and Public Places. The city of Austin has art in public places with a policy that each time that a city facility is built, a percentage, 2% of the total amount or the total costs for building that facility is set aside for public art. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing that happens in this community and enriches our community by having it. The art for this center was the Snake Walkway by Benito Huerta. Benito told us that he had selected that design because it was the milk snake, a snake that was found on both sides of the border. So I thought that that was also very symbolic. After the program, we all proceeded to have the ribbon cutting ceremony. And that was the beginning of a long, long celebration. That evening, we had the Dieciséis here. The Consul General of Mexico, Ms. Rosalba Ojeda, 
She was also the Consul General of Mexico at that time when this center opened. She gave the reenactment of El Grito from the balcony of this beautiful center. The Austin Fire Department on a guard walked from the very end of the Snake Walkway all the way to a drum cadence through the property of the center up the stairways and delivered the Mexican flag to the Consul General to start the ceremony of El Grito. It is, El Grito is a traditional ceremony that takes place throughout Mexico in every city and town. It is a scripted ceremony where the same thing is said at each of the ceremonies. It opens with the words Mexicanos. It's a call to the Mexican people. I was delighted because that evening, the Consul General of Mexico, for the very first time, was a woman. And she gave El Grito by opening the ceremony with the words Mexicanas, Mexicanos, a call to everyone, all Mexicanos, to come together. But I thought it was very symbolic that a woman who was for the first time given El Grito in Austin, Texas, would open with the words Mexicanas. Mm -hmm. I liked it a whole lot. We had, hmm, I don't know, three, 4,000 people here. The Zocalo there was packed with people. And when you look down into all of those people and saw them, you could see their pride on their faces as the consul gave the words to El Grito. And when the music burst forth with the ringing of the bell and the playing of the Mexican national anthem, you can not only see the pride in the faces of those Mexicanos, but also their emotion with all the tears in their eyes, tears of joy. It was a most beautiful ceremony that I had attended and so many years, and it's something that I will carry in my mind and in my heart forever. The opening of the Mexican-American Cultural Center, now the Emma Barrientos Mexican-American Cultural Center here in Austin, with the Consul General of Mexico giving El Grito that evening on September the 15th of 2007, it was truly a dream come true, un sueño bonito. That's my story. Thank you. I was wondering, how did it get to be called the Emma Barrientos Mexican American Cultural Center? There was a lot of talk about what would happen if this center was ever named. Because, as you can tell from my story, and you will learn even more as you hear the stories from so many, many others, 
if we were to sit down and enumerate the number of people who had something to do with the creation of the Mac, we would go into the hundreds. So out of all of those people, how can we decide? It was felt very strongly that Emma Barrientos was a leader that came forth at the time when the movement needed a very strong leader. She had good connections in the community. She had good connections with the elected officials. So she was able to step forward and lead. And I think it was in recognition of that leadership that this center ended up being named for her. Wow. You know, it's funny because you were saying that this idea of a Mexican-American cultural center was really something that people had wanted for a long time, even before there was an official push to have one. Why do you think it took so long? I mean, why do you think people didn't have a cultural center long before they decided to get together to make one? I tell you what, for many years we had cultural activities here in Austin in the Mexican-American community and for the Mexican-American community. But I don't think that any of the people dared to dream so big, you know? It was a big, big dream. It was, we were talking about millions of dollars, you know? So I think people were just kind of somewhat leery of having such a big dream and not being able to accomplish it. But as the time passed and as the population grew, the Hispanic population grew, and as people started to recognize the importance of culture, the importance of roots, and most of all, the importance of preserving and nurturing them, they started the push for real. And once the push started, it still took many, many years, but they didn't give up. And as I told you earlier, even with the disappointment of the first bond election failing for the Mexican-American Cultural Center, the desire by that time was so strong in this community that that was not gonna stop people. We learn from our mistakes, we learn how to do it better, and we didn't give up. And the reward was this beautiful center. The center itself isn't quite finished, is it? No, it was determined, I believe, that the center is going to be built in three phases. And so I think that phase one and phase one B, I believe it was called, have been completed. There's still plans for um, possibly a parking lot, possibly a larger theater, uh, more classroom spaces. So there's still a long way to go. And fortunately, we have enough land surrounding us that it will be able to hold all of those things that we're looking forward to. But even as it is today, it's a center unlike anything else here in Austin, Texas. It's a center that this community should make real good use of and be very, very proud of.
this, Mac? Is it everything you thought it would be when you started off? I tell you one thing. I never dreamt this design because the first few designs that I saw, going back to the initial design at Fiesta Gardens, were more traditional, more of what you normally see in public buildings. It didn't have the flair that this building has, that this architect has for designing unique buildings. So as far as the building itself, it's more than I ever dreamt. And it's quite possibly more than anyone ever dreamt. However, the use of it is not what I want yet or what this community needs. We need to make better use of this building. It should be overflowing. Today, when you and I walked in, what a joy it was to see young children downstairs here for classes, having their lunch break. I want to see that a lot more of that and a lot of it every single day of the week because that's what the community worked for. They worked for a center that would belong to them and would program for them and their children. So that's what I'm looking forward to, even bigger and better things happening here at the MAC. so many people involved like you said who are some of the people that you think really were involved the longest you know it's difficult to tell because there were people who came and went came and went um, I mentioned a young woman named Hortensia Palomares because she has been kind of quiet about her contributions and I think that her contributions were, were important because they were early ones. I, I think she's, she may have, may have made the project needs known to the community and had maybe was instrumental in getting a lot more people interested in it. Sylvia Rosco, she's been involved for a long, long time. Anything to do with the Mexican-American community's art projects, she's always been involved in it and a leader. I mentioned Gus Garcia. He was an elected official who was in the right place at the right time for us to help make these things happen. So, you know, he, his involvement may have not been as great in number of years, but was greater for being there when we really needed him and for being in a position where he could give us the help that we needed because he was an elected official. And then there were people like Kathy Vasquez, Ruin Salinas, and that group of Samaka that started off. Everyone kept poo-pooing their ideas off. They didn't think it was possible. A lot of people in the community didn't believe them when they were talking about a Mexican-American cultural center. And although the center did not evolve and turn out exactly how they had envisioned it, 
they had a big hand in leading the way of us getting to where we are today. So there are a lot of people who made those sorts of contributions. You know, a lot of people. I um, think of Marta Cotera, how many years she was involved. Uh, Martha and I tease about us not being shy and, and, and being women who make our feelings uh, known. So sometimes um, women like us can make a difference, you know, and, and um, I think she certainly has. So if you look back over the many years, my God, I think of all those early years. I, I mentioned Roy G. Guerrero. Mr. Guerrero worked for the Parks and Recreation Department for over 30 years. He rose through the ranks. He started as the um, center supervisor for the uh, Pan American Recreation Center. And he rose through the ranks and became assistant director. Way before there were any elected Hispanics, Mr. G worked for the Parks Department in a pretty high position. So he was like an unofficial city council member for the east side. To the people on the east side, he was the highest ranking official that they knew that worked for the city. So if they had an issue, be it streets that needed repairs, be it a recreation center that wasn't being maintained properly, being whatever, a light, street light that didn't work. They thought Mr. G could fix it all. And quite often he did. So there's been a lot of people in the community like that. <laughs> I look back and I think I truly have been blessed, you know, to have been here in Austin the years that I have been and to have the involvement with the community that I have, the opportunity to meet so many wonderful, caring people and to work alongside them and then to see our dream accomplished. It's been a fantastic ride, it really has been. You know, you were involved from the inside, but you also, what was it like to read about the Mac in papers, hear about it on the news, in the media? Did people think of it the same way that you did? I'm not even sure that nowadays people think of the Mac as I did, as many of us did. I think those of us who were involved for so many years in trying to make it happen, we look at this in a different way. But on the other hand, that's also, I think, the reason that we expect this community to embrace this center a lot more than they have, because we work so hard to get it. So now let's use it. children he's mentioned use this Mac when we walked in like you said before there are children on their lunch break and they look like they're having such a great time 
do you think that these children will grow up and be more involved with it in the community as a result? If nothing else, I believe those children will grow up with a better knowledge of the Mexican culture, the Mexican traditions, the Mexican art, the Mexican story, the Mexican crafts, and anything and everything else that the MAC teaches them here. And they're going to be better citizens for that because they will learn to appreciate that culture and they will learn that from what they learned here at the MAC. You know, you were talking about how there had been all these Mexican cultural things going on in Austin in the 80s, you said, but there don't seem to be as many now. Do you know why that would be? Like what, for instance? Well, I haven't heard about as many uh, celebrations out there, or I haven't heard about uh, gatherings of people to celebrate, say, uh, Yes, yes, yes. Or some yes. yes. I, I can say to you that Austin is pretty rich in its, its celebration of the Mexican culture. Fiesta Gardens still has the same program they had here for years and years and years to celebrate Cinco de Mayo and Dieciséis. Commissioner Margaret Gomez celebrates uh, Cinco de Mayo annually at Woolridge Park at noon with a fiesta and food and mariachi, and she's a wonderful singer, so she sings along with the mariachi. We have um, the Dieciséis celebration here at the MAC, and we have the smaller celebration at Republic Square. Some years ago, I believe it was 2002, the then director of the Austin Parks and Recreation Department, Jesus Olivares, handed me a research paper, a report, about Republic Square. Now, Republic Square was one of the four original parks that the city had, when it was first laid out, they laid out four parks called public squares. Brush Square is one of them, Woolridge Square is the other, and Republic Square. The fourth square is no longer here. The state traded off the land. I don't think we, the citizenry, would have allowed that to happen nowadays, but back then it was done. So we have the three of the four original squares. Jesus Olivares gave me the history of the research done on Republic Square, and I read it. And it said that in the 1870s, the Mexican-American community held its Dieciséis at Republic Square. Guess what? I read that, and I thought, my gosh, all those many years ago, and until the late 1920s, early 30s, that's where the celebration was held? Up until the 1930s, the city of Austin's directory listed Republic Square as Mexican Park. 
So when Jesus Olivares said, what do you want to do about it? I said, I want to take our park back. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't being all facetious, I meant it. And so we have a little symbolic celebration on the 15th at noon at Republic Square Park. That's still going on. So we have those, we have the ones at Fiesta Gardens, we have the ones at Woolridge Park, we have the celebrations here. Uh, Gonzalo Barrientos still has celebrations. He used to do celebrations at noon at the rotunda of the Capitol. He's no longer, he's retired from being our state senator, but he's still involved in the celebration through Austin Community College, each dieciséis. So those celebrations still exist. What does not exist and what hurts me very much is the participation of our citizenry. I would like to see hundreds of people show up at Republic Square just to honor the thought that in the 1870s, that's where our people held their celebration. I can tell you that in 2002, when we went back to having a little celebration at Republic Square, I got goosebumps hearing mariachi music floating in the air at Republic Square. After all of those years, the air surrounding Republic Square resound with mariachi music again. I thought it was fantastic. I think so too. I can't believe I didn't know more about that. Let's see. You said that you wish that you, that you don't know why you didn't know more about it, but yeah. now that you do, what are we going to do about knowing more about it? Well, I had better get involved. That's right. You know what? That's our future, Celia. Having young people like you want to be involved, want to be the ones to carry on the traditions, want to be the ones to nurture and protect our culture. If you don't do it, there'll be no one to do it because we are all here for a specific amount of time. And when our time's up, our time's up. And we need people to carry on those traditions. And it's something that I have often discussed with my friend Gus Garcia. Are we doing a good enough job teaching our younger people infusing in them a desire, a passion to want to be the protectors of our culture, so much so that they will be willing to carry on after we are gone. So now you got a job laid out for you. Well, thank you. I think I'll just go and try and get more involved then. Well, I got involved with this. <laughs> yes, you did, and I appreciate that very much. Well, thank you for talking with me. I thank you, Celia. It's been a joy to get to know you. It's been good to get to know you, too. And we thank the Austin History Center for oh, taking yeah. on this project. Yes.